Hello, everyone. It's Angeline Chen. Welcome to Immigration Today, where I interview leaders, advocates, experts, and volunteers in immigration and immigrant rights on the issues, their experiences, and how you can make a difference. Today, we have Maimuna Hussein Katan, an executive entrepreneur and owner of Flavors from Afar. Flavors from Afar is a Black-owned social enterprise restaurant that brings traditional recipes and global flavors to Los Angeles. Located in Little Ethiopia, Flavors from Afar uniquely highlights chefs who are refugees, indigenous people, and immigrants who make cuisines from around the world. Their current menu showcases Navajo cuisine. She also focuses on job creation and entrepreneurship. Aside from that, Maimuna is the CEO of the Tia Foundation, an award-winning grassroots organization that supports families of immigrants, refugees, and displaced Americans. Born out of the success and inspiration of the Tia Foundation, Flavors from Afar partners with refugees to help build their culinary careers and to connect with their neighbors. Maimuna is a refugee herself and the first to graduate high school and obtain a master's from her family. She received her BA in social sciences from UC Irvine and MA in organizational management from Antioch University. Maimuna has been recognized by the office of Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, who is a PBS KTLA Local Hero nominee, was selected Woman of the Year by Congressman Adam Schiff. She has been publicized in the LA Times, BuzzFeed, Voyage LA, and many, many more. Maimuna, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you. I know you're super busy running a restaurant and a nonprofit, so um, we're going to get right to it. Can we start with some questions? Uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thank you. So where does your passion for working with or helping immigrants and indigenous people come from? Yeah, actually, it's interconnected to my family's personal story. Um, we're indigenous to East Africa. We're a nomadic tribe that you would find throughout Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya. Um, our ethnic enclave, I guess you could say, is Oromo. But um, underneath that are different um, tribes and clans. And ours in particular is Gari. And um, as indigenous nomads, we were um, very vulnerable to colonization. Mm -hmm. And um, through the creation of Ethiopia, Somalia, and Kenya, there have been wars uh, throughout the generations. Mm -hmm. So uh, my family uh, became refugees on several occasions. Mm -hmm. um, but in my mother's generation, it happened in 1975. Um, at that time, uh, she didn't know my dad, but they had both fled Ethiopia, went into Somalia, and then met in a refugee camp. Mm -hmm. um, that's where they met. They got married. I was born on the camp. And, wow. um, you know, I established the Tia Foundation with my mom in 2010, but the refugee cause has always been something passionate of ours. Mm -hmm. But I also acknowledge, um, based on my family's history, that um, we are adding to the problem of um, colonization by helping refugees resettle on sacred land. Mm -hmm. So um, that's where you have the two groups between the immigrants and the indigenous people. So um, it's kind of that bridge between of acknowledging that both communities have been displaced, whether it was locally or globally. That's incredibly interesting. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about 
how you came to the U.S., what that process was like. Yeah, so um, I was born in the camp in 1980, and in uh, 1983, my father was resettled first, so um, there was that family separation. Uh, we reunited with him in 84 um, through the International Rescue Committee in San Diego, and then shortly after, um, he was able to acquire a job in Orange County, so that's where I grew up. Oh, amazing. Orange County, how about places? <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, and then in terms of your upbringing and how you were raised, like how, how was, how was that impacted where you are today or how has um, your upbringing impacted where you are today? Yeah, I think, um, I grew up pretty sheltered in Orange County. As you know, it wasn't the most diverse of areas, um, mm -hmm. to grow up in. So my connection to the black diaspora was through music and through art. And when I was young, um, I knew that I wanted to become a director of a museum or a nonprofit that supports multicultural communities. Um, I was also, um, as I mentioned to you in the past, I wanted to be a Waldorf teacher, but I, um, I, the diversity or lack of like didn't resonate for me. So mm -hmm. I, I tried education in the private school sector. Um, and then eventually I became an intern uh, for the Getty. So, mm. and that was right before I went back to grad school. So now I feel like all the dots are connecting for me. Mm -hmm. um, I had, through my work, I have like the, the social enterprise, like retail um, connection to the education compound and then the uh, multicultural community. So I think everything is like in alignment for me now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So working for the Getty was before 2010. Oh yeah. Yeah. What much before. So then what, how did the formation of the TIA foundation happen? Wow. Um, so it was very organic in a mm -hmm. way um, and a bit shocking for me. So when I originally started the organization with my mom and we came up with the name together and, you know, as most immigrant children, um, I was in charge of all like the back end paperwork and emails and all that stuff for her. Mm -hmm. Um, so we were working together lightly at this time I was in grad school. I had met now my husband and, um, you know, we were dating and trying to figure ourselves out and got engaged. And, um, 2012, we were coming back from our honeymoon and we learned that my mom uh, resigned from the organization because it triggered her PTSD. Mm. So her exact words to me were, you know, people feel educated by my personal journey, but I'm the one who goes home with the nightmares. Mm. Uh, so at that time um, I had, well, maybe it was 2013, but um, I had the chance to consider if I wanted this work or not. And my dad told me, you know, there's no obligation, you know, to the family or anything like that. You know, if you if you don't want to do it, you don't have to, um, which I think gave me the grace to say yes. So I took mm -hmm. on um, this challenge and I was able to acquire a government contract at the time. Um, by that point, it was like 2014 under the Obama administration. Mm -hmm. 
administrations changed, budget cuts happened. Mm -hmm. I had this robust team of case managers. Um, and then that's, that's when it hit. I was like, okay, um, maybe I should dissolve this organization now. <laughs> Mm. Maybe this is this is the moment to do it. This is when I should dissolve Tia. Um, and that was like 2018. But just something told me to really tap into the social enterprise model. Um, mm -hmm. I've always wanted to have like an international tea house. I thought that would be great in my um, my grad school research. Actually, I remember talking to my professor about that concept. What if I had a international tea house and then um hire the refugee parents and then those funding those funds would support the programs but um i created a social enterprise committee and um one of the members who helped help me lead the the committee was an asylum seeker from egypt who mm -hmm. now uh lives in the silicon valley and does tech but um, he told me tea is a great idea, but food would be really cool because mm. we already have such an international diverse community. Uber and like Postmates were becoming popular. Mm -hmm. So were the um, cloud kitchens, cloud kitchen spaces. So um, yeah, so as a committee, you know, we all decided like, you know, maybe this is a great idea, hosted an audition. Um, and it was still a little challenging because by January, 2019, I was the only employee at Tia. So I had lost mm. in my mind, I had lost everything. Mm. Yeah. It's and then, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Right. So, um, later that year I got invited by the orange County community foundation to be part of a pitch competition. Um, uh, they would select one person to win $50,000 for, their concept. Wow. And I won. Oh my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. And that's, that's where things um, just really pivoted for me. Um, today we have the restaurant in little Ethiopia. Uh, we have our office in Santa Ana and I manage a team of 12 people. Wow. That's amazing. Congratulations. Thank you for sharing that path because it was, you know, it's, it's up and down, right. And then up again. And now it looks like yeah. you're going back up again. Um, let's let's talk a little bit more about the foundation and then go into the restaurant. So yes. what do you, what what does your foundation do? Yes, yeah, so we provide services for local families starting over. Uh, we focus on education and economic mobility, and our programs are created into four cohorts. So we really focus on mothers, uh, children, economic advancement. Um, which is the restaurant side, but we also have um, a career placement specialist. Her name is Mira, who helps uh, people identify jobs and secure partnerships with local businesses. Um, and then we have the community development side, which is our private mixers, private events. We also have like different focus groups um, and conversations that are, are meaningful. And I think one conversation we've had is how immigration plays a role in anti-blackness. So mm. um, that's been really interesting to unpack together as a group. So when you come to the States, there is this um, striving towards um, a white identity or a white style lifestyle, what Definitely. have you, mm. um, which is very, it's, it's, it's anti-black. So mm. um, 
that that's been really interesting and building bridges with the African American community here. Mm-hmm. That's so so interesting. You're going to have to keep me updated on on that. Um, and and then how? I mean, you know, people are some people who are listening in or um are younger, uh, maybe looking for a career path, and you know, how do you operate? a nonprofit and a restaurant because I know it's related, but owning a restaurant, you still, you're still owning a restaurant by itself (laughs) is hard. Having a nonprofit is hard, even though it's related, you know, it's related, it's together, but it's still, they're different things. How are you managing that? Yeah, I think it was, um, really sitting down and auditing my own skills Mm-hmm. Um, I had to do that personally as an exercise where I saw how my nonprofit training um, was transferable. I, mm-hmm. I do not have a background in the restaurant world at all, you know, and with the catering, it technically wasn't just my idea. There was a, a committee that helped me come up with that concept. Mm-hmm. So now that I'm running a restaurant, um, I did have imposter syndrome at some time. Um, because the big dogs, the big players, they were actually shutting down their restaurants when the pandemic started and, Mm. you know, the uh, stay at home orders were put in place and I wanted to stay on long-term. This was a a long-term goal. Um, and now today we are selected as, uh, LA's 101, 101 top restaurants in LA County. (gasps) Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Oh so, um, if I had believed my negative thoughts and really bite into, bought into the, um, imposter syndrome, I, I wouldn't be here. So I think no matter what decision you make, if you know that it's your idea, then it, then it's possible for you. Oh, wow. That's incredibly inspirational. You opened the restaurant during the pandemic, right? Was it March or, or what? 2020? Yeah, the same week. Same week. I wanted to wow. open the restaurant on spring solstice, which is really meaningful to me. Mm-hmm. So um, I thought March 2020, I gave myself a six-month leeway after getting the um, after winning the pitch competition. I brought on another uh, foundation partner, Sun Family Foundation. And um, I remember meeting with Joanna in fall and I told her I need six months. So if you just give me six months, I I could um, have a grand opening Mm -hmm. March 2020. And that was the same week as a stay at home order. So instead of opening up as an experiential dining, we opened up as takeout. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Sure. I mean, uh, you have to adapt, right? And, And you did. Yeah. And you survive. Yeah. And I think um, one of the best advices that I got was um, always hire people that are smarter than you. You don't have to do everything on your own. (laughs) So I created a um, program manager role, which Uh is Christian Davis. So he um, helps manage the the brand. And then we have our program instructor who uh, the job description, no matter the shuffling, you know, um, that role has to have a culinary experience or graduated from culinary school to teach and work with our refugee chefs. 
So um, both partnerships have been amazing. Um, Christian is the co-founder of Flavors from Afar. Mm-hmm. And um, he has more of a social enterprise background because he's worked with brands like Apollos mm-hmm. and um, food and restaurant um, is very new to us. But then we, we've been leaning on Kenna. So it's just a great team, really great synergy. And um, we're all really proud of our big accomplishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And it is really great to, to always express that it takes a good team, right? Like you have a leader, you have um, a person who's in the front and, you know, doing a lot and probably the most of it. But you, you know, all of us, we need the team. We need the team, yeah. we need the help. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and, you know, and to, to find that skill set and to have it all balance and, and um, be cohesive is, is so important. So yes. tell us a little bit about the process of like, how does a, uh, how do you find these chefs? Um, how do they become the chef at your restaurant? Um, you know, give us a little background on that. Yeah. So um, we do have um, steps to our program. Um, so when we identify a prospective chef, um, we ask them to either audition or have a light interview, uh, to let us know that, um, they're committed and then, um, they would workshop with Kenna. So during the workshopping, they would create their menu. Um, we don't have them do the labor for the month. I tell people that we rotate menus, not people. So um, we have a team in-house with two resident chefs that were former asylum seekers. Actually, mm-hmm. three. Three of them are former asylum seekers that Kenna manages. And um, so between the four of them in the kitchen, um, Kenna would work with our visiting chef, uh, mm-hmm. build out their menu together, do workshopping for a few days. They learn how to operate a commercial kitchen because a lot mm-hmm. of menus are created at home. And, Mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of home cooks, especially immigrant home cooks, we tend to, um, spend the day in the kitchen. Maybe it'll take like eight hours, 10 hours, but in a commercial kitchen with a revolving door, um, you don't have that grace. So, Mm -hmm. um, Kenna, uh, teaches them different techniques and, Mm -hmm. um, procedures. And then after that we launch. So, um, during the launch, we take care of like the headshots of the photo of the um of the chef. We photograph their food. Um, we you know share the curated menu. We really highlight them um, on Flavors platform. And then at the end of the month, uh, they receive five percent of the gross sales. So they're just as important Amazing. as the light bills. So they don't have to wait for net profit. They get the gross sales five percent off the top. Um, and if selected to be on our classic menu or on the sides, which are usually chosen by the customers, like what are the top sales, mm. then those chefs receive 5% throughout the year. Oh, so wow. um, it would be a year round um, profit share. That's amazing. But they're not working in the kitchen on a daily basis then. No. you have we, your team. Uh, mm. Yeah, we have our team. So then I think that opens up the chef's um, pocket possibilities uh, to work with our career placement specialists mm-hmm. or to now um, use this platform to tell others that they are catering and doing business. And, you know, here's this restaurant I work with and builds credibility. One of our um, chefs that we work with, 
she um, she was highlighted uh, for a month. We have her um, on our classic menu. She was actually highlighted um, early last year, and then we did it again this year in March. Was her Somali menu, and she's part of the year-round menu. Mm, but the with chicken work, the chicken, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you tried I it? I saw it. No, I have to. Oh, I yeah, saw it. And I said, I want this, this, this. It's like everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, go yes. ahead. So, um, she's actually uh, opening up her own restaurant in Minneapolis. Oh my gosh. Yeah, uh, yeah, and she credits it to Flavors from Afar and Tia for our culinary program and giving her the chance to be a resident chef. So, we're really excited for Malia. That's great. I, I love that concept because in the end, they a lot of these people have full time jobs, and then to be a, if they had to work in a restaurant for a month, like what are they going to do if it's just a month? So it actually works out perfectly. They could do what they're doing, publicize themselves, market, and do you know, and then hopefully, yeah, use this as a platform to open their own restaurant or you know if they already have one, just to market it. That's like I love it. I love it. And if you ever need somebody to do a tasting. Um, definitely <laughs> let me know. Yes. Anytime, anytime. anytime. <laughs> yes. So, uh, um, back in, I want to say September was our Lebanese menu and, uh, chef Lena is, uh, she has her own catering service called, um, uh, mama Lena cooks mm-hmm. and, and, um, through mama Lena, we, you know, we partnered up with her because, um, she had fled Lebanon around the time of the explosion so she's starting mm. over here in LA with her sons. Uh, food has been her savior. And mm. um, she's been able to, you know, uh, create a platform for herself through catering. So she worked with us for a month. And now our audience knows that if they crave Lebanese food, they could just give her a call. Totally, you know, and then people are doing events again. And, and just, you know, they need and everyone, especially in LA, just want to try the, the different things, right? And and for me, like, oh yeah, Lebanese food, cool, Ethiopian, cool. You know, it's just uh, keeps it keeps it so interesting. And we're all about food here, so yes. Oh, I love definitely. it. I love it. Um, so what do you have planned for the future of flavors from afar? Yeah, so um, scaling and expansion. Um, is our goal. So in the next two to three years, we plan on pursuing fundraising rounds uh, with impact investors. Um, I think community members would benefit from owning shares of the company, um, wow. knowing that it supports a good cause. Yeah, yeah. And, and what would like expanding look like? Like multiple locations? Yes. Different cities? Or are you going to stay kind of in LA? Multiple locations. I mean, I think that our um, our brand and our model are um, easily duplicated. Um, mm-hmm. There are things that we do um, behind the scenes, such as um, we rotate menus. We don't rate, rotate the people, uh, but we rotate the menus and then um, we share the profit. But every chef that we work with, um, they have to um, stay within our proteins. So it's very mm-hmm. cost effective as well. So um, if you or anyone you know, um, sees themselves as like a social impact investor, um, this will be a great opportunity in the next like two to three years. Oh, that's super exciting. That's super exciting. And then what do you have planned for the TIA Foundation in the future? Yes. So uh, we're going through a rebrand where the org has been centered 
a lot around my mom's story and my personal story. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's so many more stories that need to be shared. So we're starting now right with introducing the team with these like short videos and portraits. And eventually we're going into the community and using Tia as a platform for everyone to share something unique about themselves or someone they love. Wow. That's awesome. I love it. I'm excited to follow. And if people who are listening want to help with either, or it's all related, but how can people help? Yes. Yeah, so it is the end of the year and the TF Foundation is a 501c3. We are accepting tax deductible donations and people could visit tia.org. That's T-I-Y-Y-A.org. Or you could visit our restaurant or hire our team members for catering. We're located in Little Ethiopia on Fairfax, um, right at the crosswalk. And I love, I love that area. Um, I told you before that I love Ethiopian food. And then I want, and oh, let's talk about the chef that you have this month, right? The Navajo chef? Yes, yes. So Chef Louie um, is our Navajo chef. And um, he now is, I wouldn't say he's about 56. And both sides of his family are Navajo. So he grew up going to reservations in um, Arizona and New Mexico to visit family members. But he grew up in Boyle Heights and Mm -hmm. eventually went to culinary school with the intention of preserving his heritage um, and the menus and recipes from his family. Um, One member of his family is his grandmother um, who uh, influenced a lot of his his passion in the kitchen. Mm. And this month she turned 102 years old. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so she's kind of like a capsule. She remembers so much of LA's changes and development, um, movie theaters that she would go to as a kid or um, boarding schools that traumatized her. I mean, Mm. it's, it's a lot, you know, um, but through food, he's able to preserve his culture, um, spend more time with his grandmother and, um, learn stories of his family's journey. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I see your posts on social media and there's been discussions that, you know, they have, you have fry bread there, which I'm definitely going to try. And, and people spoke about how it's a little bit controversial. Um, what, what is that controversy about? Yeah, so I think you could compare it to um, how soul food in um, in the U.S. was um, inspired by slave food. So it's not; it's kind of like the scraps and like the the outcome of colonization. So mm-hmm. you have a community of people that don't really digest wheat well, or um, or alcohol, for example. So the fry bread was actually um, a symbol of like revolt. So as Mm -hmm. their farmlands were being burnt down, um, the colonizers would bring like bags of like flour and wheat and like just, you know, drop it off at these reservations or what have you. So um, the indigenous community as a way of survival turned that poison into bread. So um, that's where the controversy is because not every indigenous person can consume wheat. Mm-hmm. Um, and some tri- some tribes have actually um, lived off of the fry bread. That's incredibly interesting. And I'm glad you post about that too. You know, um, We will also be posting the website for both, also your Instagram. Um, 
handles uh, so that the viewers can can click and, and look into more of it. Thank you, thank you, Mimuna, so much for for your time um, running a nonprofit and and a restaurant. And you know, you're such a wonderful person. You're getting so much publicity. I I'm so honored to that you have time to talk to me. And you know, I I, I can't wait to to just learn more about you. Eat every month and <laughs> eat, eat there every single month. Um, and just to keep track of all your success. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient. Mm-hmm.